Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org <laughs> listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm an amateur bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, and Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Yield and LiftForHope.org. Um, got a special guest today. We're going to kind of uh, just do a quick introduction, and we're going to go right to the topic. Uh, we'll try to get some news later on because we got a limited time here. But uh, we got Joe Machella with us. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Um, for people that don't know, Joe, he's... Uh, Olympic weightlifting coach, um, been with USAW for, for years, started as a, a wrestler with Rutgers and Arizona State. Um, he was a strength and conditioning coach for ASU and Northern Arizona University where he coached weightlifters and then has just been been pushing weightlifting big in and around Arizona nationally and internationally for, for a long while. Has uh, a lot of great athletes, um, brought several to uh the, the world stage and now has an athlete going to the Olympics this year. So um, that's what we're going to touch on, and we'll we'll take a short commercial break here, and we're going to talk about j- just that, bringing an athlete to, to the games. So. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, we're back, and Joe, thanks again. Uh, for coming on board with us, I know you're a, you're a busy guy. Thanks, thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, it's a privilege. Um, let's let's start first. We were talking off the air about it, um, about earning spots of the games. I don't think everybody's familiar with that. Uh, we we earned a couple spots f- for the women and what one for men. I think this year. You want to just tell everybody how that works? Yes, we um, in the sport of Olympic weightlifting, your your country earns um, slots. Um, based off of how your country's team does in the previous two world championships um, in 2011 and 2010. And then they'll take those points, add them together, and then how your country stacks up with the rest of the world. And then based off of that, you can earn a single slot up to 
four slots for women and up to six slots for men. Um, our women were able to solidify two women's slots based off of our last two years of um, competition. Our men actually didn't earn any slots based off the last two world championships and had to get one um, spot at the Pan American Championships that were held this past uh, May in uh, Guatemala. And the women are Sarah Robles, uh, Holly Mangold, and then the male is Kendrick Ferris. Um, and Kendrick's a two-time Olympian, and Sarah and Holly are both first-time uh, Olympians. Should be an interesting run. What, what do you think our chances are of getting some medals this year? Very good. You know, Sarah is, uh, you, know, you know, next to Kendrick, she's the most experienced um, athlete on the team and actually is placed the highest out of any U.S. athlete um, in the last four years at the world level. She's finished 10th um, twice at the, t- at the world championships, 11th a third time. Um, she's been a Pan-American silver medalist. Um, her totals throughout the year can, uh, has placed her as high as fifth um, amongst other girls in her weight class throughout the world. And based off of, because like I said, that only countries can only sl- get so many slots, that because of that, the Olympics in some situations can be less competitive than the world's because not every country can send, you know, a full mm-hmm. team. Yeah. So based off of that, we actually have a, even a better shot of getting a medal at the Olympics. The totals are still going to be very high, um, you know, on par better than what the world championships were. But, um, you know, she's been training great, and we have a really good shot, you know, to, to sniffing a medal um, at least at third place. And then, you know, some crazy things would have to happen to go higher. But, you know, we definitely think that third and fourth is definitely within our capabilities. Good. And Sarah's still young, too, isn't she? I mean, she's just as far as Olympic weightlifting goes. She is. She's, she'll be 24, actually, uh, two days before, uh, three days before, two or three days before she actually competes. And most women in the sport at least American women, don't really hit their peak until a little bit later, more like 28, 29. Um, sometimes it can be we had uh, last Olympics, we had our girls were a little bit older with Cheryl Hayworth and mm-hmm. Melanie Roche were, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, and Melanie was 36. But um, American women peak a little bit later. Some of the, the Asian countries, those girls peak a little bit um, sooner, and they're usually in their lower, you know, 22 to 24-ish range. But with most of the women, 26 to 29 is is very typical. So she's got another shot at another Olympic. Yeah. It's definitely in her reach. Good. Um, let, let's talk training a bit. So there was a lot of peaking out for the, the Pan Ams and stuff like that. Um, what are we working on now, um, just peaking out towards the, these games? How do you um, go about that? The way I do thing is, you know, we have different phases of training, you know, with our general training and, and our endurance phase of training that we're – basically conditioning their body to handle the, the later training stages. Um, with that, we're doing more repetitions, more volume. And when we do it, it's more in terms of more sets, not as necessarily more repetitions per set per se, but more the overall volume of work. And then we'll do a lot of variation exercises. In this phase, in our competition phase, it's all about specificity. It's all about tonnage. We're looking at certain totals. Um, and tonnage that we're looking to hit within a given workout, within a given week, um, building up based off of previous cycles um, that we've had, previous training cycles leading into big championships. So we have an idea of what she needs to do um, in terms of those those tonnages and those uh, uh, totals. Uh, and we call them a- everyday weights, that there's certain average percentages that we know that we need to hit on a daily basis, a weekly basis, that will lead to what we've 
put into the program prediction models of predicting what her total should be leading into the Olympics. Gotcha. So, I mean, you, you probably try to uh, keep this as, as, as routine as possible, but, I mean, is there a bigger push seeing as it's the games? I mean, a, a sense of urgency in the gym and stuff like that? Always. You know, you always yeah. have to, you know, train like it's your last day on earth type of thing. You know, you don't want to have any regrets, any stone left unturned that you didn't bust your ass 100%. If it was from a technical standpoint or if it was, um, you know, if you could have went five kilos more, then go for yeah. it. You know what I mean? You have to put that in your mindset because everybody else is, you know, and you don't know and take advantage of this opportunity that you're going to have another Olympics. You're going to have three Olympics. It's, it may yeah. not be in the cards. You know, you have to take advantage that this is going to be the, you know, the, the supreme stage for you as an athlete and you want to put everything into it. So when we have opportunities to push it, you know, it's built into the program to go above and beyond what the program says, you know, and if it's yeah. not there, you still got to try to hit at least those numbers or within 95% of those numbers, given that, that goal for that day or that week, you know, but for the most part, if you can and everything's looking good, you got to push it beyond that. Due to the travel and stuff. I mean, how does that change your training? Um, do you guys head out pretty early over there or we do, um, we leave actually July 18th. We'll get there the 19th. Um, we've done um, with previous experience traveling internationally. Um, if it was to Korea, if it was to Turkey, if it was, we've already been to London before. Um, we kind of have a routine and with each athlete's a little bit different. The USOC, United States Olympic Committee, also has um, different training protocols in terms of travel and what you should be doing, um, supplements you should be taking, sleep protocols on the airplane that you could be following depending on um, how many time zones, how much length of time you're going to be in a plane, how many uh, connections you have to go through. Um, so we take that all into consideration. Um, she has a lot of experience traveling, so we know we've already been there, so we know exactly how long it should take to fly. We know how long roughly jet lag and recovery should be. You know, usually for Sarah, usually for bigger athletes, it can take anywhere, depending something like going to London, going from, the, from where we are in Arizona to over there, it could take anywhere between three to four days. Um, before you really get your legs back underneath you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we leave, you know, as far out as we did. We're actually, we requested to leave earlier than a lot of other athletes. Um, we're probably leaving and getting there almost a good five to, to seven days earlier. Plus, you have to go through, um, you know, your outfitting and accreditation once you're there. That takes a long time. The opening ceremonies in, the, in themselves can take anywhere between eight to ten hours for preparation and athletes being on their feet. So um, we take that into consideration and the recovery from that. And luckily that she lives far enough away from the opening ceremonies that we're not planning on it being a problem. But we've done things differently in the training and mentally and physically prepared for that. So there's pretty much, you know, nothing that we haven't really planned for. You know, we've been to the venue. We know what the venue looks like. We know the distance from the Olympic Village to the venue. We, we know what travel's like. We know what the airport looks like. So all those things have to be taken into consideration because you don't want to be shocked. You don't want to have to yeah. be, hey, from little things of even knowing, you know, where you're going to eat to where the cafeteria is. You know, a lot of times when you go to a lot of those countries, um, it's just a very unsettling experience not knowing, you know, where everything is. And this is one distraction you can take away. Um, we do so. Yeah. So, Joe, you said your competitors have done this before, though, or similar. Sarah has done it before in terms of travel, this far, this travel. You know, we've, she's traveled as far away as Korea from Arizona. You're talking about, that was about a 14, 
14-hour flight from California. You're talking about, you know, there was uh, the time zone change, I think, was 16 hours for us when we went to Korea. How your body's going to be affected um, oh, yeah. by that, you know, we take that in consideration. Supplementation, the certain things that you can take to help you alleviate from melatonin when you're flying to different eating protocols when you're flying. A lot of the USOC uh, sports nutritionalists have, have talked everything from certain car- high-carbohydrate meals to have on the plane to certain high-protein meals, your hydration factor, and all those things will affect, affect jet lag so that when we right. do land, you know, we want to minimize that as much and get back into our normal routine. So, you know, and each athlete is unique. Some athletes can sleep on the airplane, some can't. You know, Sarah being a heavyweight and being a bigger athlete, it's harder, you know, to sleep on an airplane. You know, I have a hard time sleeping on an airplane, but, you know, if you can, we sleep, we get we get up, we try to move around, and then obviously when we land, you know, getting acclimated as, as quickly as possible to the time zone there um, and getting back on our, our, our eating and nutrition plan as, as soon as possible. Let's, let's talk about the mindset, training it. I mean, I'm sure that's big in this, being such a big venue. Um, uh, you know, you're kind of on the world's largest stage. Uh, anything different you do for that? Well, everything we've done that has gone into everything she's done since I met her four years ago and going into every local meet, every national meet, every international meet, you know, we just had a conversation the other day about using those experiences good and bad, to draw upon them for the future success of this competition. You know, when she competed at the World Championships the first time, she was in a lower session. No one really thought anything of her, and then she placed high. Next thing you know, she's placing at the at the Pan Am. She's in the A session and competing with these girls. And then the same thing, each World Championship, she's gotten closer and closer to the top-notch girls, being around them, feeling them, feeling the excitement of what it is, being on that stage with the bright lights, the fans that are going to be there, you know, the tough workouts you're going to go through when you're feeling like, you know, dog crap and, you know, you're feeling like your body's hurting and you still have to make your numbers. I mean, because there's going to be a time, you know, when the Olympics come in that, you know, you may be a little technically off, but you still got to grind out a lift and then you're going to have to dig deep or your back's going to be up against the wall. You know, she had a very unfavorable experience at last year's Pan American Games where she was disqualified. She bombed out in the, in the cleaning jerks. And it was a horrible experience, and she should have won that competition. But we're using that experience to bounce back from and using that as motivation to say, hey, you know, you have to learn how to forget it. You need to learn how to come back from a miss. And she did that at the World Championships. That was shortly after that and bounced back from a devastating competition where most girls, most athletes would have just, you know, said, that's it, I'm done. You know, I, I can't come back from something like that. And she came back, and she finished 10th in the world. And she had a, a personal record performance in the snatch that day. But using those experiences, using the hard training that she's doing now to, to lead up to that moment, she's been there, done that. Nothing is new. Nothing is out of the ordinary. So that will put her mind at ease and calm her down. The mental visualization that we do um, on a daily basis, seeing her doing things, being confident. You know, we've, we've talked with the USOC sports, met, uh, sports site guys. We've done other stuff. A little bit of my, my undergraduate um, study of influence when I was at Arizona State was within sports psychology. So different things we say, different motivation tools, goal setting, um, and just putting your mind right for every competition, every big workout. And like I said, and that will lead to success when, you know, when it comes down to the Olympics. Um, let's talk about fundraising. Sadly, I mean, Olympic weightlifting isn't the highest funded uh, sport in the in the nation here. It's the, it's the lowest. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what, what do you guys have to go through for that? I mean, um, we've we've had to do a lot. You know, we've 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 been fortunate, and we've been you know we've been you know scraping all rolled in one. You know, um, when Sarah made the Olympic team, she she picked up a couple big sponsors that have um, one through Procter and Gamble. Um, another one through Power Bar, another one through Rock and Refuel, um, a couple individual sponsors that have, have helped her out, and that has helped take care of a lot of stress from living expenses, some nutritional expenses, um, both from a supplementation means and also just from general nutrition, just getting food in her, and is is has helped that out a lot. Um, we've we've had to do some additional ones. We're always trying to do fundraising if it's you know. Flat out, we're doing coaching clinics, or if it's doing um, T-shirt fundraisers, or or doing something else. But we're always trying to get it because at this point, she really shouldn't have to have any athlete at the going into the Olympics should not have to have any distractions. Wondering how you're going to pay for your next meal? Do I have enough money right. to cover gas? Do I have enough money to cover my 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 rent? You know, leading into this, you know. So we've pretty much gotten a situation where we know that majority of her basics are covered past the Olympics, but we're always looking for more um, fundraising opportunities just to help her out, you know, yeah. there's, you know, she could always be eating more, you could always be, you know, taking a little bit better care of the supplements, things from massage, things from, you know, different recovery methods that, you know, that we can be doing and have access to that, you know, sometimes we just can't do just because from a cost standpoint, but we improvise in a lot of those situations. You got anything going on currently you can point people at that they want to help out? Um, honestly, we don't because of the way her schedule and my schedule is leading up to the Olympics. She'll be gone for the 4th of July. She's been one of 12 athletes that's been invited to go to Washington, D.C. to be part of the, the presidential 4th of July celebration. Um, and because of that, and then because we leave right after that, we just haven't been able to do any other like coaching clinics or anything else like that. But we're just accepting donations now. Um, they can go to uh, Sarah's uh, blog which is pretty strong blog dot blogspot dot com and to make a donation to her directly. Um, and like I said, we've had, you know, she had an article that was in this most recent time magazine, um, that was done about her being a larger athlete, um, a female, being a larger female athlete and all the, the positives and negatives that go with that. And she's had some good, re- good response from that from an individual basis. Some people have really stepped up and helped her out. Uh, they're always looking, always looking for help in that regard. Yeah, hopefully some people step up. We got a pretty good listenership, so guys, do that if, if you can help out in any way. Um, Olympic weightlifting is really, it's sadly uh, funded. So, yeah. <laughs> any, any way you can help out here. Um, let's get into. I guess um, we, we had Randall Strassen on not too long ago. We were talking about kind of the, the state of Olympic weightlifting, um, and and his his take was it's going to take. Pretty much somebody to show up at the games and do well, he thinks, to uh, kind of push Olympic weightlifting along better. Um, would you agree? I mean, if we had an athlete come in and do well, would it? Do you think it'd uh, help out and get a few more eyes on things and, and get more people competing in this and that? Yes and no. You know, I think you know the athlete has to do well first and foremost. That goes without saying. But then you have to be able to take and market that. You know. Yeah. Um, we had an Olympic gold medalist, the first ever gold medalist in the 2000 Olympics um, in women's weightlifting. Uh, Tara Knott, Tara Knott Cunningham now won the 48 kilo weight class. She did it after a girl had tested positive and she won the, the gold medal after the fact. So she wasn't on the podium right off the bat. 
but she won. We had Shell Harris who took third that year. So we had two girls, and you would have thought there would have been this explosion with women's weightlifting after that, and there wasn't. There was a real lack of marketing from our national body. And even though those athletes did well, they weren't supported financially, you know, for that and to be encouraged to, hey, keep going and do well. Now, Cheryl kept going because she was a lot younger than Tara, but not by that much where Tara probably could have came back around. But it's a combination of both. We probably have more people that are doing weightlifting now than there were before, but it's keeping those people in or getting those people now to push harder. And that comes from financial incentives. And that's where we're kind of dropping the ball. You know, there's more people, there's more kids involved than there were before. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there was not as many youth lifters as we do have now. But it's keeping those kids in that are right now using weightlifting as a secondary cross-training sport to football, wrestling, basketball, or whatever, and saying, hey, you know what, I could probably go do this in college, or I can now have an, an option to do this, and I can make a living, or at least get paid, or looking at it from that standpoint. You know, yeah. coming into the sport later on in life, even though someone may be talented, it's going to be hard. You know, for every Shane Hammond that came in in their, in their 20s, in their mid-20s, you know, people forget that he had a very extensive powerlifting background, but he was extremely athletic yeah. um, for a guy that was a powerlifter. You know, to my knowledge, we've only had two that have been very successful, and one in Shane who basically reached the pinnacle of making it to the Olympics. Um, we had another kid, Kayla Williams, who was a former powerlifter that came over who had extremely... Same like Shane, a very successful powerlifting background, a very successful general athletic background, and you know he, he excelled very well in weightlifting. But those are ext- extreme situations. We need to get more kids involved. We need to keep those kids involved um, and keep them in. And the only way to really do that is going to be from some type of financial incentive to keep these these now athletes once they hit their twenties to keep them in. Uh, hey Joe, if I can ask you, uh, so you've got some real talent right now amongst your athletes. What was their story? Why did they go this far? Sarah's background was she was a, uh, a collegiate-level uh, thrower at both the University of Alabama, and then she came to Arizona State University, and that's where I met her um, when she came to Arizona State University. And I actually really got lucky because she was redshirting her year that she was here at Arizona State. Uh, redshirt year is a non-year of, of, of competition where they basically can just train. So I when she was training with me, I was like, hey, she's really talented. And I talked to her throws coach, and I said, listen, could she compete at least in one or two of these meets? I said, because she's redshirting, she's not competing for you guys, but she can do this, and it won't cause any conflicts. He agreed, and she took third at the Junior National Championships, and then she made the Junior World Team and made and took second at the Junior World Championships. And I, asked, and I basically told her, I said, listen, you're equally or better – in weightlifting than you are throwing. I said, give it a shot for a year. I can get you a scholarship to one of our, our regional training facilities. Give it a shot. And she did. And I was very, you know, good salesman, I guess. But she was able to try it for a year, and then she just kept getting better and better and better. And it led to more scholarships. She led to a little bit more funding. Not a lot, but it led to more. And it was a big sacrifice. She left throwing, which, you know, she, you know a Division One scholarship where they're paying for your books, paying for your school, and giving you stipend on top of that was, was a big deal, you know, to come into a sport that she didn't really, she knew about but didn't really know where she could go. The unknown was there, and then but she just took off with it. You know, we've had some other athletes. Most of our girls come. Right now I'm getting a lot of girls that were throwers. Um, we have another girl that is, is lifting with us that was a thrower at Cal, uh, Colorado State who's showing tremendous progress. 
Um, some of the other girls, Holly Mangold, who's on the Olympic team, had a throwing background. She also had a football background. But we get a lot of girls that are former gymnasts, um, some girls that are former volleyball player, uh, volleyball, and we get some girls that are um, softball players. But the power sport athletes really gravitate well. Our guys, so, some just football, say, some track, and then some wrestling. Okay, right. So to sum it up, though, it really, at this point, the way the the whole sort of uh, scene looks, the, it requires the interest of a coach to say, "Hey, come try Olympic lifting." Yeah, is, we've is we've been fair? talking about going and doing some more talent identification. You know, I basically run a strength and conditioning facility that does also does Olympic weightlifting. So when I get an athlete, they'll come in, whether it's a high school kid or college kid. I show them the list. We use that as part of our strength training for their development as an athlete. And then based off of that, depending on the athlete, depending on the situation, depending on the season, I'll say, hey, why don't you do a local event? Why don't you do this? And then they may do it with no major seriousness to it. And then what happens is maybe their high school career is done. They don't go to college, but they've been really good at weightlifting. They may come back. And we've had that happen with college athletes that have done it through college. And they're saying, hey, college is done now. And they're 23, 24 years old. And they're like, let me try now. You know, that's great that they want to come back in it. But with Sarah's situation, that we got a Division One athlete that left at 18, 19 yeah. years old, which usually we won't get them until 23, 24. Their body's already kind of wrecked a little bit or a little beat up from their primary sport at that point so then when they come into it it's a little bit harder and that's all right right now we understand that but our goal is to get them younger and then we were fortunate to get sarah younger if we got her at 15 who knows what she could have done you know maybe we're talking about she's making the 2008 olympics we're talking about now she's a lot farther ahead from a developmental standpoint than she was before that's a big deal so that's where we're at right now you know dragomir chorosin who's our former national coach who is a very successful coach and lifter for romania it said to me at one point, if we had 100,000 people that wanted to do weightlifting tomorrow, we don't have the infrastructure set up from coaching and facilities that we can actually talent identify, talent identify and bring that kid in. And he was right. You know, I had a kid that called me from Baghdad, Arizona, which is like four and a half, five hours away from the Phoenix area. And he's like, I want to do weightlifting. I'm like, you're five hours away from where I'm at. I'm like, <laughs> there's no way that you're going to get coaching. And it's the one sport that you do need coaching. Because you need a coach to help develop technique, programming. It's very, very, very hard to do this sport without a coach. It's very, very hard. Yeah, and then, I mean, so would you say that's one of the big points is that, you know, we need more talented coaches in it? I mean, how do you get coaches even involved? I mean, you, I mean, you've taken it on kind of as a, uh, it's just a passion of yours, right? And it's kind of a... yeah. You know, you you stay alive with your other coaching. Yeah, uh, pretty much, you know, strength conditioning pays the bills, you know, and... And well, I'll bring it up is, you know, CrossFit has been, you know, a good thing and a bad thing. You know, it's 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 been great that it's exposed people. Their training protocol uses Olympic weightlifting a lot of times. The bad thing is there's a lot of bad coaching that's being coached out there. Yeah. And before we used to pride ourselves on the Olympic list had very, very few injury rates. And now we're seeing them go up and up and up and up because the coaches now that are now implementing Olympic weightlifting, before it was if, you didn't really know it. You didn't really teach it. So we didn't really have a lot of injuries because people that weren't really teaching it, um, they didn't know anything about it. They weren't teaching bad technique. There was that right. People it wouldn't be that presumptuous. Going crazy. Now you have people that are, have a little bit of knowledge. They'll take a weekend CrossFit certification, and now they're just throwing people out there. They're doing ridiculous amount of repetitions with very yeah. very bad technique with people that haven't gone through a progression of learning and staging protocol in development of the lifts, and they're getting hurt. And now we're getting the bad rap. You know, the lifts are getting these bad raps because 
you know, they're not being taught the right way. So, you know, exposure is great, but education of the coach is even more important, you know, to get those athletes then a talent identified and then moved along the chain of the command. In other countries, they'll have developmental systems. You have your national coaches, regional coaches, local coaches, and then it's said, you're a developmental coach. Your job is to initiate the, the technique development of this kid based off the national training protocol and then once that kid is shown proficiency, you are supposed to identify a higher level coach and then move that kid along. And then at a regional training center, he'll work with better kids, better coaches, and then he'll move on again from there and be talent identified. We don't have that. You know, in our country, you're pretty much going to do everything. You know, and, and we're trying, but it's, it's, it, I, I personally don't believe unless we have a major, you know, coup overhaul of our national philosophy, it ain't going to happen. We have a national coach in, uh, now, Zygmunt Smolcher, from Poland, who's 72 years old, who's been, who was an Olympic champion, world champion, has been involved in weightlifting longer than I've been alive, um, it stated that this is the protocol that needs to be done in this country in order to get better. And we're, we're dragging our heels to do it. And I'm like, well, we're not going to get better. I don't care who you bring in as a coach if you don't give them the finances, the organization to do all the things that are necessary. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, no, I mean, I think everybody's kind of been in grants on that. It's, uh, it's just wondering how the heck, <laughs> where does that funding come from and how do we get that? But, um, well, you know, it's sponsorship, it's, it's, it's other things. Make it marketable, make it attractive. You know, like I said, more people are doing yeah. it now. You know, market it. Market that this is an exciting sport. You know, when it's done and people see the sport live or they see the sport on TV when it's been, you know, presented the right way, people are like, wow, this is very exciting. You know, there's, there's yeah. a lot more strategy involved in it than people think when you're in an actual session when guys are close in weight. You can be the strongest guy that day, but if another coach takes you out of your game plan and there's ways to do that, you're done. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're, you're screwed up. You can either then wait too long, be rushed. You know, simple strategy of moving a kilo here, moving a kilo there, to now put an athlete, you know, in an uncomfortable situation. And we've seen it. I've done it. You know, we've had yeah. it happen to me where you've learned real quick that if you think you have five attempts to warm up and you are like, all right, I have five lifts to do in the back before I go out there, and three other coaches now screwed with the attempts, and now you have two attempts, now you're like, I had five attempts and I have to make into two in like five minutes. Yeah. How do you do that? We have to take something out, you're rushed, <laughs> now you're in a, the athlete's in a wrong mindset, then he goes out there and he misses. Now he's at two minutes on the clock to go back and repeat. He misses again. Now he's like, he's not even thinking about Competing, he's thinking about salvaging and not screwing up. Yeah. You know, and it's that quick and that easy. You know, and then based off of, all right, you've now equaled the total of another athlete. Who's lighter on body weight? Who has lot number? Yeah. Who goes first? You know, there's a lot of factors that people, you know, it's their strategy, you know, and that's one of the things as, as an athlete myself and as a coach, it intrigued me about it, whereas it, it made it very exciting. And like I said, you know, I've been on both ends of it of being taken advantage of and losing and having an athlete not do well because I've made a mistake or I wasn't aware of what was going on, and we've taken advantage of other athletes in those situations. And now we're going to need a little bit of that when we go to London. You know, yeah. there's going to be a little games, gamesmanship and a lot of strategy involved in, in putting Sarah in a position to do well because we're also competing against the other girl that's on the team is a girl in our own weight class. So we're competing yeah. against her as well. Interesting. And, and, you know, would you say then it starts at the local level and just getting more people to come and view meets even and get interested, I mean, as a spectator? Yeah, viewing meets, going to yeah. meets, participating, buying T-shirts, supporting. I always tell people just because you're not going to be an Olympic 
team member doesn't mean you can't support. It's like the kid yeah. that plays high school football. He's not going to be Johnny All-American, but you know what? That kid may be a booster one day. You know, He may be yeah. a fan of the program that he's going to support the program after he's done. You have to look at that from a weightlifting standpoint too. You know, that guy that comes to you that's 45 years old, he's not going to make an Olympic team. I'm sorry. Yeah. But he could be a guy that's very interested in the sport. He can be a guy that's buying weightlifting shoes, a guy that's buying t-shirts. He's supporting the program. He's supporting you at the local level. We've had guys that support at the national level because they're just very passionate about the sport, just like anything else. They follow it. And then just like anything else, you have to market to that type of person. You know, and we just don't have, like I said, the leadership right now. Um, that understands that, you know, they just think they're just, they're basically just marketing it to the existing athlete coach. Well, I can only buy so many t-shirts. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> like, you know I buy one every time I go to a meet, but after a while I got a room full of t-shirts. I wound up giving to people half the time, but you yeah. have to, like I said, go to that outside person. That person's as a casual fan and go, wow, you know, that girl that sees, you know, an athlete and going, wow, you know, that girl, I didn't think she had to be this huge, like bodybuilder S girl. She can actually be a 100 pound girl who's lifting two times her body weight you know that's yeah. in less than a second that's like in you know that's something that there's there's something there for everybody if there's you know they're out there plus we have age divisions that go up until we have athletes that are in their 80s that are competing you know in their age division competitions we have a guy next week um david Meltzer, who's going to compete at the masters pan-american championships in, in the, the dominican republic you know, he's 60 years old. He's a professor at Arizona State University. He can still clean and jerk over 265 pounds. You know, that's pretty damn good for a guy who's 60 years old, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he's been competing and training since he was in his 20s and just showing that, hey, it can still be done. You know, there was a guy at one point, he was 75 years old. He was still clean and jerking over 220 pounds. You know, damn, I wish I could be doing that at 270 years old. <laughs> I want to be able to get up off the chair at 70 years old. Yeah. Well, Joe, I, I know you got a roll, so I just want to thank you. And uh, good luck to you, Sarah, and the whole team. Um, let us know how it goes. Maybe we'll have you on afterwards. We can do a follow-up and uh, kind of just talk how everything went there. I greatly appreciate it, Phil and uh, Lonnie. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a great competition, and uh, we're going to bring back some hardware. Good deal. Tell Sarah good luck. I will. Take care, guys. Yep. Talk to you later. All right. Well, uh, at the beginning we mentioned the uh, the interview would go quickly because of uh, some time constraints of uh, – coach joe and now we're just going to talk a little bit about random current events Uh, i got a gripe i'm just going to share and then we can talk about our training a little bit we have a few minutes left here in the show one of the things i just wanted to gripe about is sometimes people who follow me know i i lament the dumbing down of america you know you see things like you know government pulls funding for public radio or public television or SETI loses its funding, you know, all these different kinds of things. But one of the things that I really struck me, I mean, I'm personally insulted. You guys correct me if I'm wrong here. But I was, I've been watching these pharmaceutical commercials, and you know how they go straight to the consumer now. They don't go through physicians like they did, you know, 15 years ago. And I was just offended. I mean, so here's what I hear today. Science prove we have cells and that their health affects us as we age. All right. What? <laughs> I mean, this is like elementary school, isn't it? Of course we're made up of cells. What? And then here's another one from a couple of days ago I heard. You guys will love this one. I learned we have things called nerves, and these nerves are connected to our muscles. Really? Wow. I mean... I'm sorry, where are you seeing this? On pharmaceutical commercials. You know, straight... On TV. And I'm thinking... 
does the average person not know that you don't have you know you have motor neurons, you have nerves, you know wires connected to your <laughs> muscles, and that's why you move? I'm just that, I'm that's shocked yeah, and that offended. Is, that is shocking. Yeah. What, what happened to elementary school teaching? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, so our, we have cells, and our health depends on their health. Oh, thanks for that. Thanks for the tip. Or I, I learned that we have nerves, and they're connected to our muscles. Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't care if you're an artist or an astronomer or a. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't care uh, uh, well, who you are. Come on, really, really. <laughs> All right, it, uh, it's it, enough. I'm just. Is this, is this the official, you know, is this just official a, Lonnie meltdown? <laughs> I was just. I'm sitting there, so insulted and offended. I just thought I would share. I mean, dog. I can see Lonnie's ready to, to beat up the TV screen. So. I know. Hey man, rage on, brother. Yeah, <laughs> rage on. Exactly. So no, that's a good thing. How's your training going, Lonnie? Oh uh, well, I'll tell you. I'm finishing up about three weeks of what I consider light conditioning training. I actually force myself to go in every other day and do a whole body routine, which is absolutely bizarre for me. It's you know we're always t- telling everybody else rearrange the order of your sets mm-hmm. or uh, movements or mix it up so. After spending most of May moving cross country twice and doing a whole bunch of weird, you know, kinds of lifts, literally moving furniture, and I'll tell you, you can you get some idea about how fit or unfit you are doing that kind of stuff. But uh, other than maybe training my grip with weird lifts, if you will, I really hadn't done much. So uh, I, I took three weeks. I just did whole body stuff, and now I'm actually back to my favorite three-way body part split. I'm just going to do bodybuilding training. I'm actually really excited, looking forward to this summer because I'm going to actually add some weight uh, and intensity, not just weight, because my lower back is really nagging at me. And I've never had a problem with my lower back before, so I don't want to be stupid, right? I was talking to um, a kid in the gym, Mike, who's actually an Olympic lifter, and he was like, well, you know, you're actually not stupid. You're actually doing it right. You know, if you do have some kind of disc damage or something, then give it six weeks, you know, just like yeah. we were talking a few weeks ago. But So anyway, yeah, I'm just looking forward to upping the intensity, and not just in the classic sense, you know, heavier weights, but intensity techniques, that sort of thing, and yeah. and just get back into some harder training this summer because I just haven't th- – that's just been missing. And you guys know what it's like. When you take that away, it's, it's like you're – I don't know. You're you're missing a part of yourself. I don't. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm kind of forced into that right now with injury. It's kind of like I'm doing what I have to mm-hmm. um, to get by. Yeah. And I'm I am modifying what I'm lifting. I mean, there's no heavy squats for me right now, and that's that's hard. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, I watched a show this morning. I don't remember the name of the movie, but Cuba Gooding Jr.'s in it. And he he loses his leg, and he's a he's a Navy diver, and the whole point is, you know, he he wants to stay in the Navy, and and um. Who's the other guy in that movie? Um, Robert De Niro. He can't dive anymore at some point. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, down the road, we're all going to look at a time when we can no longer squat or whatever, you know, and or have to modify it, you know, um, seriously. Yeah. So that's gonna, that's a real challenge, you know, how oh, you yeah. just switch and, and roll with it and continue getting uh, aggressive in the gym, uh, even if you have to modify what you're doing, you know. Oh, for sure. I mean, me with the squat alone, that's that's been my big thing with my hip and just figuring out how I can do it. And uh, mm-hmm. what works is still bring it up with, with limiting the pain. Right. Things like that. But, so, I mean, but I think you know, I think all of us, we have a need to apply aggression, you know. Oh, yeah. And so you can't just lift like it's rehab. You've got to find something that's not painful, and but you can still get brutal and get into it. Yeah, and that like me right now, it's uh, you know doing one arm deadlifts. Let's see how far I can push this, mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, you know using the safety squat bar and 
doing, I don't know, I'm getting ready to do, uh, put 245 on the bar and see how far I can walk on our 400 meter trail with, with 245 on my back. So, oh, okay. <laughs> things like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, you know, it's something to keep me going. And luckily I got, you know, a bunch of athletes getting ready for events here. So I kind of vicariously live through them too. We just had some, had a couple guys do Highland Games competition. Um, two guys and a gal did their first one last weekend in Kansas City and did well. Um, the, the lady took second in her first competition. So that was exciting. And that spurred about seven more of my lifters to say, Hey, I want to try this. Right. So they see success. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And then we've got a powerlifting meet that we're we're all peeking out for in uh what is it, two weeks. So the thirtieth. So a lot of excitement going on here, a lot of big lifts being hit, and that helps me. because um, I can feed off their energy and kind of get you know, as a coach it lets me expend some of my energy yelling at them and being excited for them. But now Phil, uh, when you actually uh heal from your surgery, you're uh-huh. able to go back, are you going to uh, devote uh, a period of time to trying to do um, one arm lifts with the with the what what is now the bad arm to try and make sure that you're not imbalanced. No, I didn't last time. I uh, I'm making up for time that I I did it last time is what I'll tell you. Rob. Last time I did one arm lifts with the other arm, so now four years later I'm I'm catching up there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what no, you guys. I'll tell you, the other thing that I, I don't know if you do it, Phil, or you do, Rob, at all, but one of the things I'm going to try this summer is, for the first time in my freaking life, I'm going to go to a massage therapist and try to get some soft tissue work, some kind of fascial release, something, because I am getting so knotted up with scar tissue. I joke about Phil, you know, being scar tissue and bone spurs, but I'm a train wreck, and I never you thought I would say that. that. You know, I was always so flexible, I was I felt immune to that kind of stuff, and now... My lower back's tight. My hip, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've got an impingement or some kind of, uh, I don't know what. I don't know. Just make sure I, you I, don't I, pull. I'm, just make sure you don't pull a John Travolta. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> the, my days of dropping into a, a split, full split without a warm up are gone. Ooh, yeah. You know? No, you need to record that. It's going to be. Uh, I'm sure it, it'll be eye opening if you've never done it before. I hear it hurts. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Especially <laughs> the first time. Um, yeah, you guys just want to hear me howl so you can. Mock yeah, we me. should do it. We should we should record the show while you're having it done. That would be hilarious. Nice. Um, no, that's that's good stuff. No, but I mean, I think I'll come back. Um, I'm I'm trying to kind of building off my last time doing this, Rob. And uh, my main thing coming back from it will be just the way I did it last time is just carry things. So I'll start off with like a, a 10 pound dumbbell and carry it for a while. Because my biggest thing it's not a, it's not flexion of the arm. It's just I, I need to be able to grab something and hold on to it. So it's slowly building up the mental confidence. Well, also you're so experienced. Um, when you get back to you, you'll know immediately if, if if you do have an imbalance that should be like yeah. know, specifically looked at, or if you. Well, can... and the weird thing with me is I'm I'm a walking imbalance due to my injury as a as a child. So it's just you know I kind of I, I turn my imbalances into a, a good thing I guess in a way. But um, I'm always attacking stuff, trying to bring my left side up. So. My my training has been going pretty well lately. I guess you guys were asking me about the, that, and I was kind of saying it's kind of there's not really anything special to say. But what I will say is I've been kind of focusing mostly on um, just a steady progression in my deadlift, um, trying to increase my overall um, ability in that lift, um, and bench press primarily. Squatting, I actually started feeling kind of stale uh, a month or two ago, so. Um, I just switched to box squats for a while, um, and that seems to always do the trick for me. I, I, I tend to look at box squats as, as, as 
the thing to do when I kind of start feeling that way. Because um, yeah. it kind of just breaks up the mo- motion a bit and kind of just, you know, in, in just the, the right way for me. So yeah. um, I'm sure within the next probably two or three weeks I'll get back to just, um, you know, regular back squatting. Um, Here's a simple question then. What's, what's your body weight like? Are you trying to hold steady at 280, 290, or what are you doing there? It's actually funny. You're bringing that up because I was talking about another friend the other day. I was saying, you know, I was... You know, when I really started pushing and pushing and pushing there a year and a half ago or whatever, and I finally got it up to like, you know, the mid-290s, upper 290s, you know, even a couple of days going as high as 301, 302, but that, that, that of course, didn't last. That was just because of a couple large pizzas the day before, but yeah. um, I've, I kind of now has, have settled back. You know how we're always talking about this constantly, about how you, you eat your way up to a weight, and then you kind of train at that weight for a while, and then you kind of settle mm-hmm. into that weight? Um, I always settle into the weight. But back off then several pounds. You know what I mean? Like if I eat up to like say you know two forty, you know um, from two twenty. Yeah, because there's a peak, don't you think? There's like that artificial peak, like you were saying, just up to three hundred one. Right, right. Where you're not yeah, yet. exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I've kind of settled down now into about two ninety three, two ninety four. So, um, what about you, Phil? From the surgery and or whatever, are you? Gonna I've actually went up a little bit. Um, did you? I'm up about five pounds. I don't. That could be cast. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> So, and I'm not even really worried about it. You know, when when I go on, when I get injured or something like that, I don't try. Definitely don't try to diet down because my number one thing is just getting healed up. And being in a calorie deficit isn't going to help that. No. So yeah, I just try and turn the blinders on, and yeah. I know that when I get active again, fully active, and not like I'm sitting around like a couch potato, but when, when I'm fully going again, it'll work itself out. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm just I'm just eating good and uh, training how I can when I can. So. Well, that's all you can do, you know. Yeah. Roll with the punches. Exactly. Actually, Rob, I was in almost the same situation. You guys know I was I was on my way to eating up to 220, but I started getting just too fat. I mean, it was just not good. So I thought, well, I'll hold it here for a while, and my weight dropped back just like yours did, Rob. I I really think this is a this isn't a fluke. You know, this is going to happen to a lot of guys who listen. So I got up to about 217 or something, and I think right now I'm like I don't know 213 or something, but my body really likes it there. You know, mm-hmm. so. It's an artificial peak, and then it held back. But, you know, that's fine. I'll stay in the low teens for a while, and then I'll make a push to 220 maybe this summer as I you know, I can actually train and eat properly, especially because, you know, I'm a teacher, and in the summer, there's no school. So, yeah. you know, Dr. Lowry gets to lift himself. Yeah, no kidding. You know. Yeah, so that's kind of where I am right now with the training. Just having you got fun. Any, Just having you got fun. any meats in mind, Rob? Um, I was thinking about maybe looking into it um, for, like, like fall of this year or something like that. Yeah, see what's going on. Oh, uh, that soon. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about. Taking, well, it, it's, I've kind of gone. Well, as, as you're just saying, Lon, I've kind of have gone kind of fished back and forth, you know, with whether I'm going to do that or not. And I think I'll at least look into it and see what's going on. I think um, without getting into specifics and trashing on anybody for any specific reason, I think I might switch to try and find a different federation um, for a whole host of reasons. That of uh, my last experience for again I won't get too much into it but my last experience left me with a little bit of bad taste in my mouth about some of the, what happened and I don't I don't mean the fact that I injured myself because I did and I had to brought, drop out of the meat but things that outside of that um, and the results and get yourself a sponsor and you can fly down here to some of my meats <laughs> okay <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think yeah, I might. There's, there's, a, from what I understand, there's a few other federations in Canada that might be, uh, 
equally as viable for me. Um, gotcha. And because because I, I certainly wouldn't want to go in a federation where, and again, I'm not ripping on anybody's choices, but I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to go in a federation where the the rules and the standards of the lifting are, um, you know, less stringent. Because I actually, you know, mm-hmm. um, really enjoy that aspect of it. You know, because um, I, you know, just just for my own personal gratification, I, I like when the you know the policies and you know, technique uh, standards are very high. So, but like I said, I'm just uh, right now. It's kind of looking around at a couple different options and see what goes on with that. Good, good. That's about it. I don't know. Anything else exciting happening? I got you know my expansion's underway. I get a bunch of my new equipment here in about four more weeks. So we'll have our mono lift now and our competition bench. Cool. That's really Stuff cool. Like that. Yeah, it'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, no, you'll have nice. to. I'll take ten nice, lots of nice pictures. Well, maybe it'll be in my next Christmas card. <laughs> you know, Phil. A lot of people have. Um, re- there's a, the pressure's on you, eh? Because I know you I know, really gotta... kind of you raised the bar <laughs> for know. you know Christmas 2011. So <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> so see, you, you should really start putting some thought to that. How you're going to yeah, talk? So that. you can get that hot again. Can you get hotter? <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> or more disturbing as it were. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, All right, guys. I think that yeah, that's good. It was a great show. I want to give a shout out again, uh, just for the fundraising, um, for Joe and Sarah. Um, the blog you can go to now, prettystrongblog.blogspot.com. Um, they got a donate button on there. It, it's always great to help some people out. I mean, it's pretty sad that our Olympic athletes have to beg for money to get there. So it is. I'll um, tell you, in a society, I'm always griping, but in a society where it seems like all day long we're we're driven toward, you know, shoving the orange ball into the little red hoop, and uh, yeah. after a while, it's like, do you know the the plethora of other sports out there? But now, you know, the strength yeah. sports, they're always gonna we're gonna be minorities, people who go strength for its own sake instead of just part and parcel of something else, you know. Exactly. But not being mainstream, you're right. There's that element of begging so listeners can help. That would be fantastic. You know, and we're in that society where if a puppy cries in another country, we send them millions of dollars, yet our athletes can't, you know. (laughs) We don't fund our own athletes. Well, I do also want to say that I I have been hearing some, because I've been hearing a lot of griping lately from people, uh, Americans, kind of putting it to the Canadians, saying, oh, you know, both Stanley Cup teams, and of course, uh, well, for those who don't know, the Stanley Cup was won by the L.A. Kings over the New Jersey Devils there uh, last week. But I've heard a lot of people griping that you, you are actually taking pot shots at Canada because, you know, hockey's supposed to be Canada's sport. And, you know, haha, no Canadian teams in the Stanley Cup. But for your information, Americans, <laughs> the majority <laughs> of the players, players on those teams are Canucks. So... So, huh, kiss my ass. <laughs> Rob, you probably just reached all five fans of the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, until next week, guys. All right, that's it. Thanks a lot. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting 
supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. This is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here, I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I've done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I wanna have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.